Welcome to Weird Era, a literary podcast where we ask the right questions. Today we are talking to author Isle McElroy and their second novel, People Collide. Isle is a non-binary author based in New York. Their writing has appeared in the New York Times, The Atlantic, New York Times Magazine, The Cut, GQ, The Guardian, Vogue, Bon Appetit, and other publications. They have received fellowships from the Breadloafs Writers Conference, the Tin House Summer Workshop, the Siwani Writers Conference, and they were named one of the Strand's 30 Writers to Watch. In May 2021, I founded Debut and Redos, a reading series for authors who publish books during the pandemic. Their first novel, The Atmospherians, was named an editor's choice by the New York Times and a book of the year by Esquire, Electric Literature, De Beautiful, and many other outlets. From the acclaimed author of The Atmospherians, which was dubbed a fight club for the millennial generation, um, a gender-bending, body-switching novel comes to us in the form of People Collide. It explores marriage, identity, and sex, and raises profound questions about the nature of true partnership. When Eli leaves the cramped Bulgarian apartment he shares with Elizabeth, his more recognized and successful wife, he discovers that he now inhabits her body. Not only have he and his wife traded bodies, but Elizabeth, living as Eli, has disappeared without a trace. What follows is Eli's search across Europe to America for his missing wife and a roving, no-holds-barred exploration of gender and embodied experience. As Eli comes closer to finding Elizabeth while learning to exist in her body, he begins to wonder what effect this metamorphosis will have on the relationship and how long he can maintain the illusion of living as someone he isn't. Will their new marriage wither completely in each other's bodies? Or is this transformation the very thing Eli and Elizabeth need for their marriage to thrive? A rich, rewarding exploration of ambition and sacrifice, desire and loss, People Collide is a portrait of shared lives that shines a refreshing light on everything we thought we knew about love, sex, and the truth of who we are. Hi, Isle. Thank you so much for being here. Hi. Thank you so much for having me. Um... You know, from the get-go, I just, I got to say, and I'm so upset that the camera isn't working right now because I want to see you hear me say this, but this book gave me so much. It gave me so much, and I want to thank you so much for it. Honestly, I'm floored. Um, it It blew me away. I mean, um, it, it really wasn't what I was expecting and sort of in the best of ways. Um, and I think especially in terms of where I am at in this point of my life, uh, trying to understand relationships and identities um, and sex, it speaks volumes to our current condition. Um, you dedicate this book to your mom. And without spoiling anything for the readers, there's a painfully tender scene between a mother and a child at the end. Is this a full circle moment for the book? I think think so. I, first off, thank you so much. I mean, I'm, I'm glad that it resonated so much with you. I mean, it means a lot. And it means uh, I love this is my first time coming on a podcast for the second time. So it rules. <laughs> um, but uh, I is it a full circle moment? I think so. Right. I mean, I think the sort of tender moment that happens at the end of the book um, I was thinking so much about just like my relationship to my own mom, like my relationship to like art and creation uh, as it connects to the people who are closest to me, right? And the way that I think a lot of us, uh, especially especially creative people who have creative parents, there is oftentimes a feeling of what have they sacrificed for us to have this life right and that's something my mom is someone who she's an extremely creative person she's a great photographer uh but she doesn't live the life of an artist and i do live the life of an artist because of like the ways that she has sort of set me up to succeed and that i'm like super grateful for and i feel like this book like i couldn't have written this book without her sort of like raising me and her i think just you know 
showing up for me in all the ways that I think like really go into like an artist practice that are like really hard to sort of account for. So I'm hoping that that dedication does enough to account for all of the the many, many things that uh, she's been able to do. And I think by the end of the book, I'm trying to create some, maybe a bridge between like mother and child who are able to, to begin to recognize those sacrifices that have been made or the admiration that often goes unspoken between parents and children. I think it's a, it's a fun surprise in the book because, you know, you read the copy or you read about it, um, and it's a very, you know, alluring premise, but having read it now, I see a deep love story, not just between Eli and Elizabeth, but between mothers as well, and mothers and their children. I feel like it's a nice little surprise that maybe people <clears throat> wouldn't expect upon, like, first introduction to the book. So, listeners, watch out for that. Um, <laughs> yeah, be careful. Yeah. <laughs> It'll make you cry. Uh, yeah. Um, well, yeah. Um, it's sort of funny the the timing in which books land into my hands in relation to like my offline conversations. So it just so happens that I mean, when am I not having this discussion? But I've been discussing non-monogamy with a lot of different friends who are currently going through different experiences in their lives. Um, and something that has been coming up a lot in terms of polyamorous relationships is the focus on when said relationships do involve marriage. Um, the question being why get married if you don't believe in committing to one individual? Um, and then on page seven, you write, no one ever marries for love. Do you think that's true? Oh, I don't think, I think Eli thinks that's true. I, I don't think I necessarily think that's true. I think people get married for, I, I, it's, people come together for love. Right. Like, I think to actually, like, get the government involved, um, like, I think that's not necessarily for love. I do actually think I'm like, now Eli is like talking me into it. Um, but I, I do think that there is a difference, like, between having a, like, genuine connection with another person and being like, I love this person. I'm together with this person versus I think the bureaucracy that's involved with getting married. Um, I'm not sure if it necessarily cements or establishes or creates like a stronger foundation of love once you're married i think that depends on the people some people do need that right and i think that that is true like i've known people for whom that does establish a baseline level of commitment that wasn't previously there and it might seem arbitrary but i think it is those sort of markers are often very real uh so yeah i do think though that like Marriage itself is not, like, a definition or, like, the beginning of, like, love, right? And I think, like, even when people are marrying to, like, strengthen their love, I would hope that, like, love is already there in the first place. Um, and that this notion that, like, marriage is sort of a sign or, like, the final hoop of love I think is pretty flawed. And that, I think, is something that I was trying to get at in this moment, right? Because these characters, Eli and Elizabeth, like, they get married, but they're married more for like bureaucratic convenience than they are married because they're like, we need to be people who get married, right? In the same way, and the way that some people are, they're definitely not those types of, of people. Um, you also took Kafka, but made it 2023, yes? <laughs> I took what? Kafka, made it 2023. I did, yeah, yeah, that was my goal, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Clearly it was like a heavy inspiration, was, was it? <laughs> Like, yeah. like, where did that come from? Like, take me through that thought process. Did you come through this plot line first and then realize the connections it made? Or were you thinking, I want to make something like Metamorphosis? Yeah, I mean, I think I wasn't thinking so much about Kafka when I was writing it. And I think that, like, if I had been, it would have been a worse book. Hmm. Because, like, I would have been, like, actively being like, oh, like, look, like, here's where I'm, like, nodding at Kafka. Um, and I... I do think something that's so like impressive about the metamorphosis is that there's no going back, right? And that I think is something that I really wanted to do in this book when I've been thinking about the like the style, the genre of the body swap. Oftentimes there is a very clear inciting incident, especially in really like popular culture, like body swap movies. Um, but I didn't want to do that. And I think that the inspiration was both like Kafka because like the metamorphosis is such like a clear example or like a, a through line back to that. Um, but also what's smart about that is when you withhold explanation, it moves the question into a different arena, right? The question is not like, how am I going to undo 
this magical occurrence that has happened. It's just how am I going to deal with the reality of the situation? And that's definitely what the metamorphosis is doing, right? Just like how is everyone just accepting that this thing has happened and you just sort of have to deal with it? And that's what Eli is definitely doing as well, right? Like both of these characters sort of, it happens and they just kind of run with it. Eli is a little bit more hesitant, uh, but Elizabeth seems to be like very game for this to happen. Um, and that I think was really fun for me because I just... And also as a writer, that question doesn't interest me. Like the how, like the moment where like the lightning strike, you know, comes down and everyone goes back to normal, I always find so cheesy. And I think to even move in that direction would have like really distracted me. And I think to even hint at that with two readers, I think would have been a real like distraction for readers as well. So it was nice to not even be to begin to like try to explain it. And Kafka was definitely like, once I finished the first draft of the book, was like, oh, this has happened before. I don't need to explain it, right? Like, um, you know, other people have been doing this. A thing just happens, and you don't have to figure out why. You just deal with it, yeah. Um, on page 20, you write, what is a body but limits? As a non-binary person, how much in your body do you feel? Ooh, all right, yeah. <laughs> this Welcome is why, back, baby. Yeah, this is, this is why I'm here, okay. <laughs> I, I mean, it's, it's so interesting. This is a conversation I've been having with, like, my partner all the time, right? And, like, this other person, like, another close friend of mine is a therapist who does a lot of, like, embodied work, and she was actively, like, teaching me, like, how to be in my body, right? Mm -hmm. And it's something that I was, like, oh, I've never done this. Like, I'm, like, learning to be, like, oh, like, when I'm having a feeling, I can, like, feel it in my body as well. And that's, like, I feel like I'm, like, learning to drive or something like that. Like, like I should have known how to do this already. Or learning to, like, chew. Like, like it seems, like, way more basic even than driving. Um, and that's been, like, I do think that I feel much more embodied since, like, coming out than I did previously, right? I think like before, and, and it's, to explain that feels a little like metaphysical. All I know is that like how I experience my body now is one where I feel like there is access to my actual feelings versus mm -hmm. previously, I think there were just a lot of walls up. There were a lot of defenses because I very much didn't want to inhabit the body that I had, right? Mm -hmm. So it felt very much like, just like this big suit of armor was always over me, right? And then like I wouldn't experience feelings because I think to go into those feelings would mean like exploring like why am I so unhappy, right? Like why am I like dissatisfied in this body? Why am I trying to change it so much in sort of insidious ways, right? Um, so yeah, I do think that I, my relationship to feeling embodied has transformed and massive amount over the past year. And I, I also, it changed a lot over this past summer. I, I think for the first time, it was coming clear to me, like, what were the things that allowed me to feel really embodied? And one of them was biking. And I live in uh, New York, and one of my favorite things to do is bike around New York. Like, mm. I love to bike over the Brooklyn Bridge, love to bike, like, up the West Side Highway. Like, and it's just beautiful. And then in May, I fell off my bike and broke my collarbone. And the entire summer, I couldn't bike. I was just walking around and I suddenly had to slow down and I had to like really reorient my relationship to how I, yeah, thought of my body, right? That like now suddenly my right arm was in a sling for two months and I was like sleeping in this sling. I was, and just how I was completely moving through the world was so different. And I think like that new level of embodiment. I don't, like, I don't even, I don't even have a, a takeaway from it right now. I just know that it was for me, this moment of like, I felt like I had figured out how to be embodied, like on my bike or on like running and stuff like that. And like, these were these ways that I felt comfortable in myself. And then I needed to suddenly like shift that and reorient that. And now coming back to being out of the sling and sort of healing from this injury has been really strange to like, again, have to try to relearn how to feel things that I've been doing. Like there was this like, like I took a sabbatical away from my feelings for a couple months. I mean, I, I love that experience for you. I guess I'm wondering if a body still feels like limits to you. I mean, maybe to everyone, but you know, I'm asking you. 
Yeah, I feel like I did a great job of dodging that question. (laughs) (laughs) Is a body limit? Yeah, it's absolutely limits, right? Like, I think I... Because it would great to just be a bunch of soup with everybody right like (laughs) just just to like you know merge into each other like maybe not everyone but like I I think yeah like I am do constantly feel like I'm coming to terms with like what are the limits of my body and like how can how can it look like how can I interact with other people right like I think visually I think a lot about the limits of my body right and just like how I would like prefer to look and things like that um versus like the changes that I can make um I do also think that uh like how I relate to other people and sort of like those limits are also like um increasingly like I don't know I'm I'm a little over my skis right now, but like I, um, yeah, I do feel like it's obviously a limitation, but I think there's also something like very beautiful about beginning to understand those limits. And that I think is sort of the process of being embodied for me is not the like, you know, violent struggle against those limitations, but to kind of accept like where my limits reach against other people's limits, like other bodies' limits, and like both emotionally, physically, all of that. And that that sort of leaves a lot of unexpected space for like connection at the same time. Um, so embracing those limits and feeling those limits, uh, I don't know, has been like sort of forefront of my mind over the past year or so. Yeah. I mean, that seeps through in this text. Um you know, casual weird error question again. Can we ever really know each other? Can can interiority like bodies ever be seen with clear eyes? Oh, of course not. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Can we ever know each other? Like, I, I don't think so. I mean, I think that's sort of one of the, again, this is one of the things where if I had been directly asking myself that question while writing this book, I don't think it would have been interesting or uh, like, coherent question, right? But I think that there was part of me, I mean, I was writing this book while getting into a new relationship, um, like big changes were happening in my life, right? So um, I think those questions and the question that I feel like always comes up at a certain point in a relationship is like, how well does this person know me? Like, how well do I know them, right? There's this TikTok that I love of like, it's like a, a guy in a car, like in a passenger seat and just sort of like smiling and dancing. And then like, it's like, and then it hits you that your girlfriend is just some lady you've only known for two years. Um, and then like, and it's like, yeah, like that's like relation. It's just like, wait, like I love this person, but like, that's only like a 12th of my life, right? Like, or like whatever, like amount of time it is. Um, So yeah, I mean, I think that question of like, how well can you ever know someone? And you need to not know someone all the way, right? Because yeah, like having more surprises, I think is what's most exciting and what allows for like continued intimacy, right? But I also don't want someone to be a complete like cipher or stranger, right? So like balancing that and negotiating that, I think is something... um, that I was like pretty obsessed with and that I think about every time I'm in a relationship. That was going to be my follow-up question. It's almost kind of like, are we even meant to? Are off the pages, off the pages of fiction here, it's a fantasy what Elizabeth and Eli get to access. And I almost wonder if us in this real world could even handle that. I don't, I don't think we're meant to handle that, to get that access. Yeah, I really don't think we are right like I think that would be I'm gonna butcher it but there was some like an ex- like uh experiment recently where like scientists tried to recreate the feeling of like a body swap right they they had people who were like really close friends put on VRs of the other person and sort of would move through the world as the other person and what ended up and all of their memories got scrambled like people couldn't remember like what was something they did versus like what was something their friend did and like their own like sense of self-worth started changing and like they took on the sort of characteristics of the other person like this isn't exactly it someone should like go go find the real research uh listeners but um i and i think that that is like 
an expression of like, yeah, we're not supposed to have that level of like access to other people. Even that like wildly fabricated version of it seemed to cause an incredible amount of confusion in the people who are participating in this experiment. So yeah, I mean, the fantasy that Elizabeth and Eli are able to like enact, like, I don't think we're supposed to know that much about other people, right? Like, I think, I mean, I take, like, solitude so seriously, right? Like, I need that time by myself, right? And the thing that makes me want to be around other people is probably that I spend the first, like, six hours of my day alone in an office, like, writing or just, like, flicking around through the internet or something like that, like, by myself. And then it's that solitude that makes me want to be around other people again. It's that sort of, the sort of locked doors that I have in myself that make me want to, like, sort of open them sometimes to other people or, like, make me feel like I have things that are, like, only mine, right? And to share everything would be, that feels invasive. Yeah, we want to know everything of each other, though. We don't want to share everything, which is what we all have in common, yeah. but especially yeah. <laughs> when you're in a relationship, you want exactly. everything of the other person. I realize how exactly. unhealthy that sounds, and we're ideally more mature and emotionally intelligent than that, but, you know, want is still want, right? Want is always want. That's the thing. Yeah. Um, the book, I would say, teeters to and fro uh, between these periods of interior observations into pages of heavy dialogue. I find dialogue so challenging to write. What do you think these bouts of dialogue do to the plot of this book? What do they serve? Yeah, I mean, I think the dialogue is so important because I think the book is sort of a conversation, right? And the dialogue is especially happening. I think of this book as sort of like three tiers of like relationship, uh, like styles, right? We have like uh, Elizabeth's parents who are sort of like established and they have let's say comfort and like wealth. And then there's uh, Desi and Kirill uh, who own a bakery and they're sort of intermediary. They have some stability, but they're also like, we're former artists and they're sort of like in that sort of like intermediary zone. And like Elizabeth and Eli are um, like bohemian, like still artists in that way. And, and so I think that those three different levels um, are important. And that's what makes the conversations that are happening really important because how all of these people are like discussing, not only like the interaction is just going to happen like through the, or the conflict is happening through how they think about their lives versus how their lives are being enacted and lived, right? And that is also the type of, like, that's the type of conflict that I like to have in life, right? Is like sitting around and talking to other people about what's on your mind, telling people what you did. I've realized like recently that what I love even more than like doing something with a person is doing something by myself and then later telling them about it. Um, and, or like having an experience and then coming back and like sharing my version of it. I'm a, I'm a Virgo and uh, I love uh, Claire Comstock. Gay's book, um, Madame Clairvoyant's Guide to the Stars. And her notion of the Virgo in that book is like as a witness, like someone who goes out, sees things, and then comes back. And I feel like that's often what's happening with the dialogue in this book, that like this is people talking about things that they've seen. They're talking about ideas. They're talking about, they're having like conversations. And I love having just like long conversations right it's how I love to live my life and I think that that like inspires the book because I feel like that to me is what like that's fun like that's people like connecting with each other that's where I see conflict not through like physical action or like um intimacy through like you know physical actions that people are taking but like I think intimacy is conversation right and character comes through conversation for me right so I think that was why it was so important for me to have these conversations. And I also think like someone like Rachel Cusk is a huge influence on this book. So um, like the outline series and all the conversations that were happening in that book and how that was changing how I was thinking about how to create narrative, right? That narrative doesn't just need to be action. It can be people talking about what they want to do or what they did, just telling stories. Uh, I think that was really important for thinking about how to structure this book and how to move forward with this book. As Eli tries to get used to being in Elizabeth's body, he finds himself confused um, in terms of how to approach his sexuality. 
And you says, I had not, for instance, masturbated as her, though I was curious how it might feel. And I had confidence I might be successful. An ex had once referred to me as the king of fingering, months after we broke up. But I couldn't shake the feeling that it would be disrespectful to objectify Elizabeth from inside her own body. Did I need her permission to finger her as her? I mean, what a sentence. <laughs> um, and given, but for the sake of the question, if gender is fluid, then what does that do to the way we own sexuality in relation to our bodies? Oh. <laughs> Yeah, I I should have you should have assigned me some homework before this. <laughs> um, I, this is my favorite part. I, yeah, you're no, one of my favorite guests to have. No, no, no this reason. is no, this is so great. Like I, I mean, I don't, I still don't think I like know exactly, right? Like if I think that's something that Eli is definitely like reckoning with, right? Mm -hmm. Like what is this? doing to his like what does the change do to his sexuality and I think is it like has it uncovered something that was always there mm. or is this sort of transformation an opportunity to show him parts of himself that he didn't previously see right I mean that comes up later on more explicitly with like the bartender in Paris when Eli mm -hmm. goes out and Eli is kind of like beginning to understand desire in a new mm -hmm. way um, but I think that like I think sexuality is probably like, I'm probably gonna say something that's very wrong. Like, like I like, I, and I just mean wrong and like, it doesn't make sense. But mm -hmm. like, I imagine it's like way more reactive than we want to give it credit for, mm -hmm. right? Like, like I think mm -hmm. that like how, how situational like sexuality is, like an attractiveness, right? Like I think there are so many times when like people who are like situationally think like I'm attracted to it's like it's all about everything else that's happening in that moment right and it's not about like their gender or my gender it's about like some sort of magic is happening and like I just feel like sort of a, a charge of like attraction and like I feel in those moments like my sexuality being far more fluid uh than I had previously conceived of it right like when I like you know I'm like a teenager I'm like this is who I am right like so that I think it is like everything is constantly shifting. And I think the two are shifting in ways that I don't even know if they necessarily like, I think it's probably like a Heisenberg principle sort of thing, like an uncertainty thing, right? Like as soon as it starts to get measured, it's gonna start changing, right? As soon as, um, you know, Eli thinks he's one thing, he's put in a new situation that changes how he relates to his body and how he can relate to other people, which is going to change, I think for him, like what he believes is like his like opportunities for love or like his like feelings for love, right? Or like feelings for attraction. Again, I'm, I feel a little like, the answer is like, I'm not sure, but I also think like, yes. Like, um, mm -hmm. like I, I think just allowing, I think the book is allowing for a lot of just like space for how, his self-understanding both of gender and sexuality changes and evolves without him really clocking it. Um, but it definitely is throughout the book. That doesn't sound wrong at all to me. That okay. sounds extremely correct. Um, Great. We did it. We did. <laughs> we solved it. <laughs> yeah, we fixed it. <laughs> yeah. Fixed gender. Great. Yeah. <laughs> Call Judith um, Butler. Yeah. Let them know. Yeah. Yeah. Someone called Butler. Let's go. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Um, I haven't read this level of exemplary interior writing in contemporary work uh, since Katie Kitamura, who's a huge, huge, uh, someone I tr truly admire. Um, and it, it, especially in books like hers and in yours, uh, this kind of interior writing has to be exemplary by virtue of the plot. Um, these characters are literally not in their bodies, and we readers have this unencumbered access to their thoughts and feelings. Um, on page 73, Eli, as Elizabeth observes, being seen was an intrusion and especially dangerous now, which, again, is, of course, true to the plot of not being caught. But I also wondered, in what ways does this apply to intimacy in relationships? So, again, being seen was an intrusion 
and especially dangerous now? I guess we sort of already answered this in terms of needing your space and privacy. Yes, but I also love that you bring up Katie Kitamura because the separation is a huge influence for this Mm -hmm. book. I mean, Mm -hmm. I was returning to it like repeatedly when I was like in the like when I would be stuck, I would look at the book and be like, what did Kitamura do? Right. Like, Mm -hmm. how can I get myself out of this problem? Um, Mm -hmm. So I I love her writing so much. And and she was definitely an influence in writing this. Um, As for, yeah, being seen was an intrusion. Like, yeah, I, I think... It is because one of the hard things, I think it's a little bit different from the intimacy that we talked about. I think there is sort of a shock when someone knows you, right? Mm. Like, especially Mm. when you're really close with someone, like you want to believe like, I'm not predictable. Like I'm, you know, no one knows what I'm up to. I don't even know me. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, And then another person is like, no, you're going to do this thing. (laughs) Exactly. Right. And, or someone's like, oh, like, are you like, it's, I think like the most basic version is when like a partner is like, you're grumpy, aren't you? Right. And it's like, oh, and they're like, eat a cookie. And they're like, oh, like, how am I this predictable? Right. Mm -hmm. Um, So, but I think being seen can feel so as I said earlier, like invasive if you're not ready for it, right? Mm. I think it also requires a, a massive amount of like vulnerability and humility mm-hmm. to allow yourself to be seen. And that's really not where Eli is in this mm-hmm. book. Mm-hmm. Um, he does feel that like that being like sort of noticed or recognized um, can feel really dangerous and scary because I think it takes away autonomy. It like means that he is not in control, like, and I think more broadly for like everyone, it can feel as if like we're not in control of our own selves, mm. right? If another person can see these things that maybe we haven't seen for ourselves, it's like, how obvious are we? What are we missing? What are we missing about our own lives? And that's really scary, right? Mm. And that level of like another person having that intimacy with you, um, that to me is what seems especially like scary or dangerous about it because it can be so destabilizing. What does physical touch bring to interiority? I know there are obvious answers, but like there's obviously something more complex going on here than just biology. So, you know, in a lot of moments in this book, Eli does have a physical body, but misses being touched by Elizabeth, even though he is Elizabeth, so to speak. Um, and, and what is that saying? What 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 is what does he not have access to when in fact he does have access to it? Yeah, I mean, I think what he doesn't have access to is the decision from another person to touch you, right? Like, that, I think, is what he's longing for, right? Like, yeah, That's like you... That's a good answer. Like Such you, a good answer. <laughs> thank you. Yeah, okay. Um, <laughs> um, no, but I, I think that that is, like, he... Like, sure, we can have, like, complete... This is back to the question of, like, complete access to what another person is thinking, right? But unless they decide to share what they're thinking with you, then it doesn't feel, like, charged or special, right? I think touch is special insofar as another person is saying, I want to reach out to you, right? And that's what Eli is not able to get. Because, sure, he has access to her body. He can, like, sort of just, like run her hand along the back of his neck and it will be like the same feeling ostensibly. Um, but it won't be two bodies coming together. It won't be that decision of people deciding like, I'm going to sort of reach out and try to create a connection um, between like the distance that we have. I also like, I was also writing this in, in the pandemic. So I'm wondering like now how much like, not, I mean, we're still in it, obviously, but like during like early stages of lockdown when it was like, touch seems so scarce mm-hmm. and I was thinking a lot about like what have I sort of lost like how much sort of physical intimacy like will physical intimacy come back in the same way I was seriously like contemplating that all the time and and I think that was a dumb idea um but I think <laughs> um, but, but I'm curious about how it sort of infused this book I think the anxiety around like a lack of like touch and sort of um, connection is definitely everywhere. It's like trying to hold your own hand, right? Exactly. Yeah. Which mm-hmm. doesn't feel good. <laughs> no, no, it's just, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> There's nothing comforting about it. No, it's dull. And in its dullness, it's almost worse. It's it's like when a therapist says to just like, like, you know, that thing when therapists are always like, before you can love someone else, you should learn love to love yourself. yourself. Yeah. I'm like, oh, come on. 
Yeah, it's like, yeah, yeah. I also, I'm also feel like that's like a therapist being like, you're gonna die alone, so you should start preparing to only love yourself. No, I don't think they've ever meant that. That's just me like reading into it. No, but that's also just like my life. I'm like, holy shit, you've been telling me that for like five years. You <laughs> tell me, um, no, but it's it's. And I get it. Obviously, you can't, like, hate yourself. You can't know love if you are full of hate. But if you don't think you deserve love, which also, who thinks they deserve love? But I <laughs> is also the other question. Yeah, I guess I understand those kind of conversations theoretically, but I just don't think they're realistic to the people I know, including myself. Everyone wants love from someone else, and everyone has a very hard time loving themselves. This, these are two true things. Absolutely. Um, another aspect of the book that stands uh, so outside of um, the gender and romantic conversations that you talk about, um, but also shines bright as so thoroughly modern as a significant point in the book, is the intrusion of a terrorist attack. Um, was this inclusion a way of also speaking to our current times, or did you have another motivation behind it? Yeah, I mean, it was sort of trying to speak a little bit to the current times but but I don't think to me it doesn't seem like a massive I didn't want Eli to have like a political awakening in that mm -hmm. moment and actually mm -hmm. I think Eli is normally wrong about a lot of his like political statements he says things that are like kind of cringe like in the aftermath of these attacks and I think there's which I was I wanted him to be a character who seems like at the beginning of the book he seems like oh I'm above this like mm -hmm. fellowship right like it is a colonial enterprise I know better but like he's still participating in it right <laughs> and then like later on after the terrorist attacks he sort of has a sort of like righteous view about them that I think is a little bit too simplistic um, but on the level of like I think it was important for me to make the book like less to have like that as like a political statement than it was for the stakes of the book. Um, something that I think made it a little bit easier for the body swap to not be as massive as it uh, might be for two characters is that it's like the biggest thing in the world has ever happened to these people, right? Like how can anything bigger happen? And then something bigger happens, right? Mm -hmm. and, and I think that cosmically it was really important to show that like these characters probably think they're like the center of the universe like how did this ever happen to us right like there's such a version of this book where like we need to solve this problem is it happening to other people like how can we help others who are going through this and it's like no you're still really small right like you're still part of some, like a story that has nothing to do with you I also think that it was really important one of my main, I think what the attacks allowed me to think about is like storytelling, right? In mm -hmm. the aftermath of the attack, um, Eli is in a hotel and he's thinking about all the people who are in the hotel, like grieving this event, who are sort of obsessed with the news. And he has this thought that like everyone here didn't actually live here, right? Everyone here is like in a hotel and yet they're sort of really invested as if they were um, like locals. And he just sort of reckons with like, we need to sort of insert ourselves in this, into this story. He's like, I don't think it's necessarily right. He's like, but I felt like I was obligated to do it. And that I think, that question of how people insert themselves into stories, insert themselves into grief, um, I think was a huge part of the book more than it was about like a statement about our like current times, or it is a statement about our current times insofar as we think about like, mass events and how we relate to them because we probably because of just how information travels it's easier to know more about things um immediately so i think it was it was a statement about that and about the relationship to um massive events more than it was about like what exactly eli thinks about them politically or socially and also as i said like craft wise it was really important to have things that were larger than the events for these two characters there's something very stereotypically gendered in this book, and as a cis straight woman, something I deeply related to. Um, Eli is portrayed as lacking, particularly in ambition, uh, something observed about men pretty frequently, I would say, in my current, um, you know, cohort of, of women. Um, and Elizabeth is portrayed as ambitious, something also, you know, sort of stereotypically gendered about, I would say, contemporary women. And despite all this, the versions you made in this book, you kept true to this binary. Why? I think that 
binary was necessary for me because I needed Eli to sort of level up. Uh, I needed there to be a reason why they maybe wouldn't be able to go back, right? Like for the, or why it might be okay for them to sort of um, stay with this transformation. Um, Mm -hmm. Because like Elizabeth has ambition and success, which are like the things that Eli does want. And and Eli, I, I think there's a, there's a point midway through the book where Eli says something like, it wasn't that he didn't want to be small. It's that he knew that everyone was eventually small. And so he pretended that he was okay with this, right? So mm-hmm. even thinking about like Eli's relationship to ambition, I think he's pretty ambitious, but he's sort of in denial about it. So, and Elizabeth is someone who is aware of this about him, right? She's someone who sort of understands what his ambition looks like, that it looks different from hers, um, that it looks different from, I think she says like the zip hoodie sort of A plus hunting sort of men. Um, But she admires that. And I think that this sort of transformation allows him a sort of fast track to the ambition that he didn't feel capable of achieving on his own, right? That he felt, I would say, like limited by those own like those sort of gender binary like stereotypes, right? He sort of falls into them and he sort of accepts his own lack of ambition. Um, even though I think that he is fairly ambitious um, and is sort of not willing to acknowledge it. Um, so it was important that like he be able to get something out of this transformation. So that's why it's sort of the binary is necessary. And also that Elizabeth feels like she can as well and that she can sort of like use this to her advantage once the um, body swap does happen, right? So I think the maintaining the fairly traditional stereotypical um like sort of binary there i think just gave me a lot of opportunities to like play with how that would play out right another way you did this was observing um eli's limited capacity to feel express maybe even to love um of eli you write this was how relationships worked for men when they grew closer to someone who did not want them to die they had to confront the many ways they were killing themselves um, I literally thought about Lemonade and Beyonce. Um, I think actually pulled from a Worcestershire poetry that was used in, in Lemonade. And I'm paraphrasing, but at some point it's essentially asks, uh, you know, the male partner um, why they think they don't deserve love. Like, why is it that they're hurting so much uh, because they think that they don't deserve it? And both your sentence and hers read similarly to me. And and again, I, I guess I ask you the same question. Why? What is so masculine not that that sounds like it's a good thing, but what is it about masculinity that involves this feeling of being shocked to find out someone doesn't want you to die? It's like the saddest. Yeah, no. I mean, I think it's, I think it's because a lot of like masculinity is just sort of a like pursuit of death right like like the small ways that like you know male friends when I was like younger like in high school and stuff like that like so much of that those experiences were about like coming closer to death like near death things like jumping off things driving too fast right that like um that life was life being lived to the fullest meant sort of coming closer and closer to death right that um hurting yourself in those ways, like overworking, over drinking, um, was just a, was how one experienced life. And I think those are constantly a refusal to accept care, to accept that like someone could want something more for you, right? To accept that like you have value. And I think that the, a lot of it is like a, maybe like a, strange like duality of both feeling like a lot of men probably feel like they have very little value but that their value is only achieved through sacrifice and or through like physical sacrifice not like oftentimes not like uh i don't want to go down like gender domestic choice or stuff like that but but through like the physical sacrifice of like working too hard at a job or like the sacrifice of like an injury and like not talking about it, right? That that somehow proves one's value to not say these things, right? To be able to accept the like ongoing deterioration of one's body, like stoically is a sign of value. But when another person says like, no, like you can actually like, 
feel that pain or you can like sort of accept that like you are in pain, I think that can be a really shocking moment because I think a lot of um, a lot of the men who I knew like growing up never wanted to acknowledge that ever. They never wanted to um, confront the fact that both other people might care about them, other people might want them around. Uh, and I think that's something that Eli definitely absorbed and is confronting sort of for the first time in this relationship with Elizabeth. On the other side, Elizabeth makes a similar observation later after explaining what it's like to be in Eli's body. She ex expresses sympathy about his quote-unquote inability to feel a painting. You write, she knocked on her chest, my chest. It's like wearing one of those weighted vests at the dentist. Nothing gets in. She goes on, the things you felt would buckle me. They would land me in bed for a month. What are you saying about, you know, Elizabeth's experience of emotion here? I think Elizabeth, I, I don't know if that is particularly gendered or if it is just like who Elizabeth is. I know like mm -hmm. a lot of people like a, who just the sort of artistic temperament of like allowing things in. And Elizabeth is definitely one of those people. She experiences deeply. She's able to like feel deeply. And I think what she's reckoning with for the first time is that Eli is someone who hasn't been able to feel deeply, right? And that this is not just like an emotional thing for him, but it is like a physical thing for him. And so Elizabeth is, I think that's also a moment in like the difference between their sort of artistic temperaments and that it is something that Elizabeth has never been able to explain. This, I think, is also one of those moments where, like, despite how often they can say to each other, like, this is how it feels, yeah. this is, you know, that intimacy is only really achieved in the moment when the two of them are able to actually get inside of each other's bodies, right? Like, Elizabeth is able to move to a place of understanding. And I would say, like, like empathetic, like, pity almost towards uh, Eli. But there's a, a real softness about it, right? She's almost, like... Bitter is the word that's coming to mind, but it's not exactly right. Like, she sort of resents that he doesn't feel, but also understands and sort of feels, like, empathy for the fact that he doesn't. I think for the first, one of the first times in their relationship. Um, as for, like, what I think for her, though, it is less about, like, her different, like, gendered experience more than it is about, like, more of her artistic sensibilities of just how she moves through the world, right? That she, that what makes her an artist is that she is constantly seeing and she is constantly, like, absorbing things and that that mm -hmm. both will make her a great artist, but it also comes with a lot of risk as well, right? Like, the more that you take in, the more, like, the more infected you are by the world. Is knowing someone better than they know themselves the truest form of love? And in this way, is love more about knowledge than care? I don't think, I, I'm not sure that knowing someone better than they know themselves is love. I, I think it's actually ends up being kind of condescending and I think can mm -hmm. oftentimes be a way to control people, right? Especially because I don't think anyone ever really knows another person better than that person knows themselves. Um, because it's just like a, an assumption over that other person's reality. Um, so I, I like don't think it is love. I, I do think that love is care insofar as it's leaving the space to be able to accept how another person wants to be cared for, right? And sort of negotiating that and communicating that with another person and viewing that and sort of, again, like responding and reacting, right? Like um, I feel like reacting has been coming up again and again, right? Like how that to me seems like what love is, is like those reactions to what another person is being willing to share, right? Like even when you like know someone better than they know themselves, that's the beginning of a conversation. It's not the beginning of a lecture when it's mm -hmm. actually love, at least mm -hmm. because you want, if you care enough about a person, I think it's less about like, you know, bullying them into seeing the things that you want them to see in themselves than it is about like putting them in a position to find that for themselves. And that I think is what becomes like, those are like, the connections in my life that are the most like profound and important to me is not when someone is like telling me how to do a thing, but when they're like showing care that I know how to figure this out for myself. You have written a profound sex scene in this novel to me. Um, and to me, it sets such a high standard in terms of sex writing and fiction. Um, it's pages licked with heterosexual sex with bodies not in their genders at the same time. Is it a gay sex scene? <laughs> This is, this is the, I, I don't know. <laughs> like, I have a friend who described it as like, this is like, 
this is the queerest cishet sex scene I've ever read, right? And like, and I'm sort of like, okay with that. Like, I don't want to like put a sexuality on this scene. Like, and I'm mm-hmm. like, and because it's like, yeah, I think it is like, I would just say it's more of a queer scene than it is like, mm-hmm. and, and I think that's definitely coming through. And that's like, because there is, and I think this is goes back to the question of like, where is like sexuality related to like selfhood? And mm-hmm. where is it related to like physical embodiment, right? Mm-hmm. And because like physical embodiment wise, nothing weird is happening in this scene. Um, it's it's your classic. Um, but um, I like emotionally, like it's mm-hmm. definitely very strange, right? And emotionally, I think these characters are suddenly coming to terms with how expansive their understanding of sexuality and desire is. And that I think is what's really exciting and really queer about it. And I think that both of those things are sort of pressure points on each other um, is what made the scene really fun to write. And I think, I hope is what makes it work. Do people collide because of a universal force that throws us at each other? Or are we unwillingly even running forward towards them? <laughs> These are so good. This is, yeah. <laughs> um, I, um, I, it's the universe, baby. Like it's, uh, you know, it's, we think we have control, but it's, uh, it's definitely the universe. Like it's, I, I think we can do as much as we can, right? But eventually, like the universe steps in, right? Like it, I, I recently, like there was this person who I like met a few months ago, had a crush on and she moved to like LA like that week. And then I like a couple, like a month ago, I like walked into a bar and she was there. And I was like, that's the universe, right? Like this is the universe, right? Like, and like, you know, if I like tried to continue talking to this person, like, it, over that first stretch of like her going away, the universe would have been like, no, 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 like you're trying too hard, right? The universe hates a try hard. That is the <laughs> um, that is the one lesson that I have learned in 35 years is that like um, full Rilke got to sit with the questions. That's like just sort of let things happen, and again to negotiate both like what the universe is willing to give you what you're willing to hear and what you're willing to see um and also like i think there needs to be some autonomy some like sort of race towards another person but uh but i think forcing things is rarely how people end up that's how people end up colliding it's not how they like you know like in a sort of head-on collision kind of way it's not how they end up uh sort of staying together Thank you so much, Isle. This was wonderful. Uh, Listeners, you can pick up a copy of People Collide at your local indie bookseller. Thank you, Isle. Always a pleasure. Thank you so much. This was so wonderful. I'm so glad to be back.